Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, a podcast for Catholics who love tradition and want more of it. This is episode 58. My name is Chris, and I'm joined today by my wonderful co-hosts, Mike and Brooke. And today we have a wonderful special guest who we'll be introducing um, in just a little bit. He'll be joining us uh, shortly. Uh, And uh, we're actually going to be talking about the survey that was sent from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith to all the bishops of the world on behalf of Pope Francis, um, seeking their input uh, with regards to the implementation of Samorum Pontificum and how things are going with the Latin Mass uh, in their diocese. So we we have Father Matt, who's going to be joining us, who says the, the traditional Latin Mass uh, very regularly, and uh, we're going to get uh, his input and uh, insight on his his thoughts generally on the on the questions of that survey. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, I'm joined right now by Brooke. Mike is also soon to arrive. Anyway, Brooke, how you doing, pal? You doing good? Good. How are you? Good. Good. It's kind of a good. wonky intro, but. Uh, yeah, we're we're doing things a little bit different lately. We're we're gonna do a little little hangout intro spiel, if you will, just <laughs> you and I, and then Michael join in whenever he he wants to join in and is yeah. able to join in. So, Brooke, what is what is Krakulakin? You uh you did something very cool this week. Can we can we talk about that real quick? Uh absolutely. Um so if any of you guys follow me on my Instagram channel uh, at visual litany, you'll see that uh, I've been putting a lot of effort into work in my, uh, I want to say piece dedicated to the overall crisis of the church um, because of the coronavirus. There had been a picture circulating of uh, our lady stabbing you know, the coronavirus, which was all well and, and good, but I needed to take it further. I needed to do something that, I don't know, sum things up in a better way, especially for myself. Um, because I didn't, I don't think the point was made well enough in that other piece for me personally. I don't really know how to describe what I should do. Can you ask me questions instead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. Like I, I absolutely love, 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 love this picture. I feel it very. Uh, it's it's really real. Um, you can tell mm-hmm. you can tell that it was from the heart for you, and I, you know, not that your other pieces aren't, but you could really see the emotion in this one. And um, so, yeah, to kind of explain the, the picture. um, So it's, it's centered around our lady, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can describe the picture a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Share, share about that. So, um, so front and center, we have our lady, um, with her sorrowful heart exposed. There is an angel on either side of her holding up her mantle 
and underneath her mantle um, is a crowd of people, um, you know, various ages, ethnicities, um, uh, careers, um, ages, and whatnot. Some with masks, some without, some people in wheelchairs, some people, medical professionals and whatnot. Uh, and then underneath at the bottom is, um, I don't know, I don't really know what the, the word for it is. It's completely slipped my mind. But in the center is a tabernacle with two angels on either side weeping, um, kneeling. And then on the one side is a church door with a chain and a, and a lock on it with a crowd of people at that door. And then on the other side of the panel at the other end is another door uh, with no chain and a, uh, I've tried to make it look just like a, a bishop with the, the little, the red cap. I don't know what that's called. What's that called? Um, Zucchetto. That's what it's I don't want to say Yamak. Zucchetto? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, and he's holding a key. So, um, the narrative there is there are people trying to get into the church. They can't. The only people there keeping our our Lord company are the weeping angels on behalf of those who can't be there. And then, um, you know, the one person that could open the door is just not, you know, their back is turned to us. And I'm not saying that that's every single priest or every single bishop, but uh, man, kind of feel there's a sting there like especially for what we're going through in our particular diocese like it's uh it's tough and we're not the only ones either like you know yeah it uh i think that's that's how a lot of people are feeling right now is you know some people don't even aren't even like banging on the door saying you have to give us mass or you have to give us confession i think there are people that just want to just want to be with our Lord and they can't, they can't even see him. Yeah. And uh, I think for me, that's one of the biggest things. Cause you know, we didn't really have a whole lot of opportunities to just go to ador- adoration the way that we used to, cause we're parents and it's just kind of how it is. But you, you know, you know how it is when you didn't know what you had until you couldn't have it anymore. Right. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I love, and, uh, I love the picture and especially that, thanks, that as like kind of the basis, because that's the kind of cool part of it, right? Is it's this mm-hmm. kind of, uh, I don't know, dire diorama. I don't know if you want to call it that. Yeah. That's, bottom, I think that would be the right word. Right. Where it shows mm-hmm. kind of the full breadth of the, the situation. And then, you know, but you see our lady, standing over top as kind of like in a way like the way i kind of read it is that our lady and her immaculate heart will triumph um but you gotta yeah. be under her mantle in order to triumph and yeah um, yeah and she's presenting with she's presenting to the people and the viewer like the solution for what we have to do right now is pray mm-hmm. like, you know? Yeah. And she's holding this really I can't large emphasize rosary, and, right? Yeah. 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 So it's like, there's the solution to what we should be doing right now. Right. right. Yeah. And the, and the other thing I was trying to, to emphasize too, in the drawing that um, 
was uh, are some arrows that were coming down from heaven. Um, and this is a direct reference to um, older medieval pieces of Our Lady of Mercy. And, and I did find some um, images from pieces that had been made during the time of the bubonic plague. Um, so I was taking reference to that because we're in a kind of similar situation. Um, That's great. That's Sorry, so cool. Mike just walked in. <laughs> so, so yeah, with regards to that, that print, um, yeah, you just did a fantastic job, Brooke. You, you knocked it out Thank of the you. park. So, so now that Mike, Mike has officially joined us, um, do you have any thoughts on, on Brooke's newest art piece? Well, um, yeah, I think it's one of her best ones. Um, I really liked how the different kind of symbolic elements all worked in it. That's, I think it's something you did better here than you've mm-hmm. done in the past. I would agree. I would agree. I, I think I capture a really good, solid narrative in this piece. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. Another detail I kind of liked is if you look at the angel's faces, the one angel's face is quite stern and the other angel's face is um, softer and almost sadder, um, emphasizing like, you know, the, um, you know, the justice from God and the mercy. You know, it was just one of those subtle things that. Uh, that uh, That's the two angels at the top pointing yeah. toward the heavens. Yeah. And holding up Our Lady's mantle mm-hmm. against the, uh, the arrows mm-hmm. representing the chastisement. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like inspired. I, I, I just, I, I just really loved it. Um, and I think Thank it, you. I think it honored Our Lady really well, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe as a, as a quick, ju- quick juxtaposition, to that um before we get father matt on the call um audrey assad let's talk about her for a minute so if you haven't been paying attention Uh audrey assad has um a new i'm not sure if it's an album or a single that's coming out um but the art that she's commissioned for this piece audrey assad if you're not familiar is a catholic convert um and from protestantism and she's been very popular in the catholic world for many years uh in the last few years she's kind of taken a a significant uh spiritual nosedive i think you could call it that and her most recent piece shows a picture of the uh of our lady of sorrows our lady of sorrows with um with the third eye in the middle of her forehead. It's absolutely diabolical. And uh, yeah, I, so, so this is with her electronic side project called Lev. And um, dude, I, I wrote her an email last night. I was praying and I just was like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta email her. So I emailed her and I still haven't heard back. And, uh, Brooke was saying that there's people all over her Instagram calling her out on it too. Um, 
but it's gross. It's absolutely gross. Are you, are you seeing it right now, Mike? That's messed up. Yeah. I was just I showing. I haven't seen that until now. Ugh. Yeah. Why? Yeah. So I, uh, I messaged yeah. her and I told her straight up, like, there's no, there's no reason to blasphemously treat the Blessed Virgin Mary like this, you know. I'd be curious to know her thought process or who, whoever the artist was, his thought process. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bad, y'all. It's bad. So I'd be scared to know what kind of weird syncretist crap went into that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just thought it was quite interesting, especially given, you know, Brooke just finishes this beautiful piece of our, of our lady and it, and our lady of sorrows. Right. And then, yeah. and then this, and then you've got the uh, opposite of, of this piece of garbage that Audrey Assad thinks is worthy of putting out on social media. So a pray for the conversion of Audrey Assad, please the reconversion of Audrey Assad. And two, if you want to email her, you can email levmusic, L-E-V-V-M-U-S-I-C at gmail.com. So do it. Um, okay. And don't be a jerk about it. Okay. Do it charitably and do it, do it nicely. You know, don't be a mad trad. Um, but seriously, call her out. If you have ever listened to Audrey Assad and enjoyed her music, it it would behoove you to reach out to her and and call her to come back and to repent. Anyway, so let's uh, let's switch gears here. I'm gonna go get Father Matt, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll dive right into this question about the uh, the CDF survey. So, all right, let's go. All right, and now we are joined by my wonderful friend and fantastic priest of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father Matthew McDonald. How are you? <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thank you, Chris. I'm great. I'm great. Thank That's you, everybody. Awesome. Uh, interesting times we're living in. True. True <laughs> that. <laughs> so so father uh can you tell us a little bit about yourself uh where you hail from and and a little bit about your story well i grew up um in Brooklyn, new york long island i'm the eldest of three children um went to public elementary middle school at long island catholic high school went to francis university soonville graduated in 2006 with a degree in uh, philosophy with minors in theology and history, something that was instrumental in my own vocational journey and big moment, not the only moment, was um, was um, being in Austria, spring of 2005, to be present for the death of um, John Paul II in the election of Benedict XVI and just seeing the Catholic history and patrimony in Europe. Uh, so that was a big vocation cementer um, that the Lord used. Before I entered seminary, I briefly discerned with the Dominicans in an unofficial capacity. And I also worked for uh, Bill Donahue at the Catholic League of Religious and Civil Rights in uh, New York as an administrative assistant. And then I went to St. Joseph's Seminary. I was in seminary for six years, one year 
minor seminary, when you're in a parish and four years in major seminary. And I graduated, uh, well, I graduated in 2014, then was ordained a priest by Cardinal Dolan. I, I just celebrated um, six years of priesthood on May 24th, the Feast of Our Lady, Help of Christians. Wonderful. And I'm currently serving um, as the parochial vicar at St. Mary's Church in Washingtonville. Um, as a priest, I've, I got involved with the old mass even before I entered seminary. I had um, my the first Latin mass I went to was on July 9th, 2002 at St. Agnes Church in Manhattan, which used to be the Tratty Catholic Cultural Hub of New York, um, where it was also the church where Archbishop Fulton Sheen would preach the seven last words of Christ on Good Friday. Um, and uh, I remember going to the old rite, and it was right before I went to Steubenville. I remember not completely liking it, but also being strangely allured by it at the same time. And um, I always had an interest in, when I was in college, when I could, I would, like on breaks, I would go to it, you know, not every Sunday. But then after I graduated college, I learned how to serve it. And it became a big part of my own spirituality and, um, you know, priestly discernment. It actually helped me encounter Christ. It wasn't the only way that I encountered Christ, but like it was a major way to help me understand who Jesus was, what the priesthood was about, what the Eucharist is, you know, what our faith is about. Um, and it just changes you, you know, once, once you're able to enter into the mystery through that, you know, um, and, um, as a seminarian, um, I had some opportunities to subdeacon. So I learned how to subdeacon when probably I was in first or second theology a few times. Um, and then when I was ordained a deacon, I served as a deacon and, uh, I was not only involved with St. Agnes, but also the, um, a little bit in um, the Church of the Innocence in Manhattan. So, um, and there was a time when I was closer to it on my off day, I would go down once a month, celebrate mass because I had ties dating back before seminary, but then over time just got too much. But um, as a priest, I would say I offer the old, the old mass um, one to three times a week. If I could celebrate every day, I would, you know, but uh, <laughs> there's also, you know, church law and things like that, you know, but technically, you know, if I have the um, chance to offer, you know, a private mass, you know, during the week, I normally offer a little mass. Um, and I always offer mass every day as a priest, you know, um, since COVID though, I've been live streaming masses and the only reason why I live stream mass is one to help remain connect, help my parishioners and people I know remain connected to Christ and the church and also to give them an opportunity to make a spiritual communion and to receive a plenary indulgence from that, which the Vatican has allotted uh, through the apostolic penitentiary. But, uh, you know, and I'm grateful to do that, you know, but there are some problems with live streaming. I will not deny that. <laughs> and even <laughs> said that, you know, uh, so that's, you know, that's um, an important thing. You know, I think, again, it was just a lot of people will think that the old mass is a museum piece or for a bunch of artistic intellectual elitists. 
but it isn't, you know, as a priest, sometimes I'll get from other priests. Oh, you guys, you younger priests, you just want to go back to the 1950s church. I'm like, I don't want to go back to the 1950s church. I want to know my history. I want to know my patrimony as a priest and as a Catholic. And I want to know how Jesus Christ speaks to me through every age of the church's history from the upper room, which we're going to be celebrating this Sunday on the Feast of Pentecost, all the way to our age, through, the, through, the, through every part of the magisterium, not just the current magisterium, but seeing how that is linked to the prior magisteriums, having that dual, that authentic Catholic vision, not only through all the popes, but through the councils, through the lives of the saints, through scripture, through tradition, through the liturgy, through the sacramental life. Allow Jesus Christ to speak to me through that today and point me to my ultimate destiny, you know, eternal life to be seen and to help me bear fruit in that, you know, and that's, that's what I think the old mass shows, you know, um, and it's important, you know, I would also say this, you know, um, the church by her nature can never promulgate a liturgical right that would cut her off from the fount of grace, you know? So what that means is this, she can't promulgate an invalid liturgical right that doesn't pour, that does not pour out the graces of salvation that Christ won for us on the cross, you know? To state otherwise would be to deny not only Vatican II, but the Council of Trent, and also the indefectibility of the church, Matthew 16, would make our Lord a liar. That said, the liturgical reform is not a black and white issue. It's very, very gray. It's very, very complicated. And it's important that we see the complicated issue, you know, that it is, you know. Um, again, I think there's, you know, some healthy forms of critique, you, you know, of the liturgical reforms that need to be listened to. You know, I think people like Pope Benedict acknowledge that. The way Michael Lang, Alcon Reed, Michael Davies, um, Cardinal Sarah, Peter Kwasniewski. I think that's a good and important debate. You know, one thing though that I think is also important that we keep in mind, although like we're trying to rediscover our Catholic patrimony and that authentic sense of universal apostolicity that is inherent in tradition. Um, it's also important that we realize that tradition's meant to bring us into communion with Christ, to have a relationship with him, you know, and it's not an into of, in and of itself. And certain things um, within the liturgical debates, I think, are good and proper. But there's also sometimes a risk that we focus in on minutia. And we have to be careful of that. I'm not trying to downplay any of the debates, you know, or lessen the importance of the Latin mass. But even within like debate over the 55, and I'm sympathetic <laughs> towards that, you know, for the 62 Holy Week and things like that, you know, like that's a legitimate debate, but it's important that we don't get sidetracked by that debate from the major, from the bigger issues, the essentials, 
you know, yeah. not to say that there aren't some essentials in that, you know. Um, and I think something that the old right shows that's important. And yes, it is present in the ordinary form, um, but it's harder. Um, when you go to the ordinary form, most at your average Roman Rite parish, you know, for the most part, there's a lot of doing, all right? A lot of doing. A lot of people come to mass with a certain understanding of praying the mass that's kind of reminiscent of what Thomas the Apostle had um, in his response to the Apostle saying, the Lord is risen, you know, after Easter. Just as Thomas the Apostle said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, his feet, his side, and touch them, I won't believe. So people will say, unless I know everything that's going on at Mass at every single moment, <laughs> you know, understand it, and I'm doing something, then I'm not praying. That is not authentic, full, conscious, active participation in liturgy. That's a rationalistic minimalism that undercuts what the mass, what the Eucharist is about. Um, I think something that the old right shows um, is that not everybody prays in the same way, whether they go to adoration or whether they go to mass. I think you see a healthy respect of the theology of the mystical body of Christ at the old right liturgy, you know, Understanding that, like, yeah, not everybody is going to pray in the same way. But what matters, no matter how you pray, is that you unite your life to Christ in the present moment at the moment of consecration. Though your hopes, dreams, struggles with sins, temptations, everything. And that's how you participate first and foremost. Receiving our Lord in Holy Communion is an added bonus and it, com it completes that perfection, you know, in a certain sense, but it's a gift. It's not a self-entitlement. It's a gift. And for most of the church's existence in the West, her understanding was, you know, and, and the old rite shows this, unite your life to Christ at the moment of consecration, you know, in whatever way the Lord inspires you to, whatever way, you know, you think he, he's calling you to, you know, let's forget about the for him sandwich. I'm not necessarily against hymns at mass, but there, you know, but if we're just blah, 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 you know, like singing, <laughs> singing like things, I'm not saying that can't be prayerful in some sense, but like it's, it's stuck up in here and I'm not communing with, with the incarnate God who came down from heaven in the bread and wine that just transformed his, into his body and blood that I just received, you know, I'm not talking to him like I, I would a friend, you know, and I'm not trying to over, you know, over spiritualize anything. I think there's a, there's a lack of interiority um, in today's Catholics. It's a lack of identity. Not only do Catholics know, don't know how to be Catholic anymore and they don't know how to be human anymore. To know how to be Catholic doesn't mean you have to have a, 
a bachelor's in theology or a master's in theology from Steubenville Ave Maria or a pontifical Roman university, you know? <laughs> and I think that's, that's something that's, that's important. Yes. We don't, we don't hit people over the head with things. We're not overly moralizing and finger wagging, but at the same time, we don't treat everybody as if they're the theological equivalent of a two or three year old, you know, we feed them, you know, um, something that we're in the midst um, of doing in light of all the COVID things right now um, at the parish, at my parish, um, at some point in the liturgical year, my pastor and I are going to say, and I, at my, my current parish, my pastor has been very generous to me and he's a great pastor. And we, he's allowed me to say the old ride at some feast days, not regularly every Sunday. Sometimes if, you know, if I don't have any obligations on a Sunday, I'm f- at the parish, I'm free. There's, there are some parishes nearby that need a celebrant. I'll occasionally offer my services, but that's not every Sunday. You know, maybe that's once or twice a month at most, you know. Um, but um, something I think we need to get back to, and the old right can help in this, um, is just essentials of not only Eucharistic belief and liturgy, but also prayer. Because with the crisis of the liturgy, there's also a crisis of the spiritual life. People don't know how to pray anymore. You know, and this is something that Cardinal Seurat has spoken about heavily um, in his books, most especially the latter two books, um, Power of Silence and The Day is Far Spent, you know. And in light of the big, not only the lack of belief, but the big disruption in people's lives and life of faith, I think it's important that we priests just go back to basics and be like, this is what we believe in the Eucharist and why we believe it. This is what we believe about participation in the mass. This is what we believe regarding when, you know, when you receive the Eucharist in a state of grace, this is what the Lord does to you, you know, so open your heart. This is when, this is what we, you know, what we believe, you know, about when you should not receive Holy Communion and why. And this is what what we believe in regards to why making occasional visit to the Blessed Sacrament adoration is so important. You know, I think that's, that's another branch of this, that the old rite, you know, plays an important role in the liturgy is not all the church is about, but the liturgy, whatever right form of the Roman right, Eastern right liturgy you do. It's the foundation upon which everything else in the church, what she does is built upon. It's the foundation to a cathedral. And like in any building, when you have a weak foundation Everything else is going to, you know, crumble because of that eventually. I think we've seen that, you know. So it's important that, yes, we have that good liturgical foundation. We build upon that. And we just don't idolize our own age. Something that Father Chad Rippinger um, speaks about, I'm not saying live in the past either, but having that dual Catholic vision connected to the past, allowing the past to speak to us, but also living in, in, in the, the world of our age, 
yet not of the world, you know? Um, we can't be cut off from our past, you know? We can't live in the past, but if we cut ourselves off to the, from our past, then we cut ourselves off from Christ, you know? And we're coming out of an age of iconoclasm in a certain sense, um, where there's been a lot of self-hatred that's crept into the church's life because of things like the spread of modernism, you know, that Pius X warned about, and then John Paul II and Fides et Ratios that also addresses and Benedict has addressed, you know. Um, we have to develop that self healthy sense of reverence for ourselves, you know, and who we are as Catholics. And I think that's something that most people, people in the world of our generation struggle with, accepting the gift of God who is ourselves, not only personally, but also within the realm of faith, you know, and some generations of priests and religious, unfortunately, struggle with the sins of self-hate more than others. I'm not saying every generation has their virtues and vices, you know, and there's good people and bad people in every generation. But, you know, I think it's important to, you know, pray when you see like a self-hating Catholic priest or religious, pray for them. When you see, you know, um, people that may not agree with your liturgical preference, you know, or that you know how to agree to disagree, but like also at the same time, try to fi find that common bond without compromising the true faith and, you know, um, cutting off your own integrity, you know, right. and that's a hard balance to strike. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> For sure. There is this, just kind of piggybacking off of that point about self-hatred, right? There's that almost, there's that desire to be loved by by the world and by everybody. And in doing so, trying to, to cut off those things that are more difficult or, you know, and I mean, we, we've talked about this a million times on the podcast, right? You know, like the, the changes to the liturgy of the hours, to the bravery, you know, removing the, the difficult Psalms and removing the difficult passages, you know, in, uh, in St. Paul's epistles, you know, from, from the liturgy, from the lectionary and the Novus Ordo, things like this. And like, there's almost this mindset that, you know, we have to be so, so welcoming and whatnot and and not make anybody feel bad but like the thing is like we should be willing and should desire to to be comfortable in every part of what it means to be catholic even in those difficult things you know absolutely so absolutely yeah and i think again there is a struggle right now in the church and i think the sacrament and council tried to deal with it from mark Hey, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? The question that St. Ignatius would ask St. Francis Xavier every single night before they went to bed and drove St. Francis Xavier batty when they were students together at the University of Paris when they were finding the Jesuits. The council tried to deal with that. How do you address the faith, communicate the gospel according to the needs of today without compromising who you are, who Christ made you to be? And that's a hard question. 
and that affects the liturgy, but that affects so many other things, you know, and the liturgy is where theology comes alive, you know, and that's something that Sacrosanct and Concilium 19 speaks about. And we see this compartmentalization of worship from the other aspects of Catholic life, such as prayer, such as the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, such as her faith formation. And that's not of God, you know, and that's something that the church is still trying to overcome. But when you compartmentalize, and there's not an integration, healthy integration, then you can't be not only who God created, created you to be, you can't receive his, the gifts that he wants to give you and give others through you, with you, in you, for his glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so... So maybe maybe switching gears a little bit. So with with this survey from the CDF um, for the congregation from the doc, for the doctrine of the faith, um, it was sent by Cardinal Ladera Ladaria, yeah, wow, yeah, Cardinal Ladaria, who's the prefect right now, and it was sent it was sent in March. So I mean, this isn't uh, a new thing, but um, one of the the questions, right, that that's been coming up is, you know, kind of people on both sides saying, you know, is this is this a problem? Is this going to create a problem for traditional Latin mass communities? Essentially, the long and short of it is that uh, Cardinal Ladaria said basically um, uh, in his letter to the bishops, he said, "Your Most Reverend Excellency, thirteen years after the publication of the Moda Proprio Samorum Pontificum." issued by Pope Benedict XVI, His Holiness Pope Francis wishes to be informed about the current application of the aforementioned document. Um, he goes on to basically say, you know, we'd like you to answer these, uh, these questions uh, and submit them back to us um, by the end of July. So, uh, one of the things that, I don't know, maybe the overarching theme that I, at least I and read as inferred in these questions is what good is the traditional Latin mass today? And maybe I'm wrong in that, that like inference. But um, when I look at these questions, I think, you know, the Holy father is asking what good is, are these traditional Latin mass communities doing? And so maybe, maybe we could get your insight on, these particular questions, given your experience as a priest who says the traditional Latin mass, you have that view of kind of the traditional movement in one of the biggest dioceses in the United States. Um, and obviously you've been involved with it even prior to Samorum Pontificum, right? You were, you were there when uh, it was like a, an indult yeah. parish, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so maybe can we can we get your your thoughts on these questions? Yes, absolutely. So I think it's important one not to be overreactionary, but also to be vigilant at the, at the same time. You know, um, in regards to this, um, you know, Universe Ecclesiae alluded to the fact um, that there would be an inquiry about the the implementation of Sumorum Pontificum, you know, at some point. So I do think this is somewhat connected to that. I also found it, found it interesting that around the uh, same time this was 
implemented the CDF, which assumed the duties of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, issued two documents allowing new prefaces, some of which were not so new, some of which were re allowed regionally in the Gallic missiles, um, some of which come from the new right to be used in the 62 missile. Um, and also the allowance of the saying, uh, the, the commemoration of new saints canonized after 1962 and the old missile. So I don't think this move is necessarily like this dastardly plot to undermine the motu proprio at this point. You know, I don't think that's on the Pope's agenda. I don't think, you know, I don't think people should view it in that way. You know, um, I think at the same time, one would be foolish to just bury one's head and be like, oh, everything's honky-dory at the same time, you know, because obviously there are some bishops that are not fans of this. You know, there was the petition sent by Andrea Grillo, um, the Italian liturgist, you know, that was critical of Samorum Pontificum. But I don't think that was a reason for this to be sent out, you know. Um, and I think it's important that, you know, again, with this survey, that you continue to give your kids the true faith as best as you can in a humble way. You continue, if you go to the old right, go to the old right, say your prayers, you know, be present, be welcoming, you know, um, be helpful to the priests in whatever way you can, you know, um, and try to avoid falling into preconceived stereotypes that are not fair and not accurate, but people may have, you know, um, of the trad traditionalist movement, you know, and just, you know, be who you are, you know? I mean, if you look at France right now, about 90% of the Catholics who are still going to Fran mass in France, and that's maybe less than 10% of the population, the Catholic population, 90% of them will go to the old right. They're booming in vocations. I think to suppress this wholeheartedly would be foolish and would risk schism, you know? I do think maybe there may be some permission for, to give, for bishops to kind of clamp down in their own way on the local level. That may happen, but I don't think the motu proprio would ever be undermined. No. And I don't think... I don't think, you know, our Holy Father, you know, our current Holy Father wants to do that. I don't think, again, he, I don't think he is necessarily a fan, but I don't think he's going to do that. No. And I, and I, that's from my own reading, my own opinion, I could be wrong, you know, <laughs> and that's also from other sources that I've heard, people that are closer to the ground than I am. So again, 
keep on saying your prayers, keep on going to your mass, keep on being good, faithful Catholics, you know, be vigilant, but don't overreact with this, you know, show your presence, show your presence to your priests, not only if they're the fraternity of St. Peter, but your diocesan priests, support them, listen to them, understand where they may be coming from with certain things when they say yes, and also when they say no, you know, be present to your bishops, supportive to your bishops, even with the bishops that may not be the biggest fans of the old right, of Samoran Pontificum, you know, like, be present, be joyful, you know, I think by doing that, that will do a lot more for the old mass, the traditionalist movement in the long run. Mm -hmm. And I will say, I will also say this, like, I, even though I'm a member of, yeah, I'm a tratty priest. That's not the only, that's not the only hat that I wear. You know, there are other things in the church's life that spoke with me, you know, um, it's not just a Beretta. Yeah, it's not just a Beretta. And <laughs> and yeah, I, I have my Beretta, you know, so. Um, you know. <laughs> but, uh, it's serious now. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, I, Benedict XV, after the death of Pius X in his very first encyclical, Ad Beatissimi Apostolorum, states, there's no such thing as Catholics with labels. You're the Catholic, you're not. You know, so being traditionalist is something inherent to being Catholic. Just as being open to the movement of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost in your life. Just as being devoted to Mary, you know, just as being faithful to tradition and orthodoxy and the teaching of the church, you know, you're either Catholic or you're not. And some things in the faith only have one answer. Some questions only have one answer, one approach. But other questions have more than one answer and more than one approach. It's important to have charity in the essentials, respect in the different, um, unity essentials, respect in the um, indifferences, and charity above all, as St. Augustine would say. You know, and I think that's important, you know. Um, and it's funny. As a priest, like I saw this at Steubenville because I was sympathetic to the old mass at Steubenville. I let that opinion be known sometimes. I'm sure Chris <laughs> could remember that um, in, in our days in the Cockadoo Love household. You know, That's and right. it's funny, like after I graduated, how like tratty the household became all the time. <laughs> you true. know, I, I, that true. brought a smile to my face, you know, um, in some ways. Uh, but it's But it's important, again, that even though the Lord may call people to intimacy to him through a particular way, yet they also respect how races work in other people's lives. And somebody can have be right one day and be wrong the next day. Somebody could be wrong one day and come to tradition the next day. And I've seen that. I've seen that not only at college at Steubenville, but in life, life in the seminary, life of priests. You know, like, I think if we have that common ground, you know, it doesn't become, oh, like, I'm the king of the trad wars, you know, or like a holier-than-thou thing. 
but this is something essential to the faith that speaks to everybody from the people that, with specialized theology degrees to the people that attend parishes of the Fraternity of St. Peter and even the SSP Acts that go to, that live in these one street towns in Nebraska and come from homeschooling families with 10 kids. And the dad is the local, mecha local mechanic in the one auto body shop in that town. It speaks to everybody because it conveys Christ. And ultimately the mass is not about me, whether it's in Latin, whether it's in English, whether it's in Spanish, whether it's the old right, the new right. It's first and foremost about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, giving God glory, praise, honor, adoration, thanksgiving, supplication, petition, reparation, and inviting him in to our lives so he can perfect us, save us, sanctify us. And if we don't have that focus, it could get distorted. You know, in sacramental theology, as, as you are aware, there's objective grace, ex operate operato, and there's ex operate operantis, the subjective disposition to the reception of grace. And both have to be acknowledged within the sacramental life of the church and within the everyday life of the faithful. So how am I being a bridge to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the faith to, to others? How am I being bridged to Christ? And how am I being a roadblock? And how can I not be a roadblock and get out of the way? And that takes humility, self-detachment, prudence, grace and prayer for sure for sure there's i think one of the when it comes to the the questions right i mean you've got questions in that in that survey like um if the extraordinary form is practiced in your diocese does it respond to a true pastoral need or is it promoted by a single priest i thought you know when it comes to like questions like that, you know, the question, like you were saying, the importance of being that, that witness of charity to others, um, is, is really important. And I think, uh, I don't know, like for a number of years in our diocese, um, it really was promoted by a single priest and nobody really knew about it. And the, the community for many years was very insular and wasn't really um, opening themselves to newcomers and, and whatnot. And I think that was greatly to its detriment. Um, but I think, I don't know, I, at least in my experience, I think the tide is shifting. Do you think the tide is shifting as well at this point in time? I think the tide is shifting. I think you have some people who've been giants in the traditionalist movement who bear a lot of battle scars. Um, and I've known both lay people and priests who have had a lot of scars because they were faithful to tradition and I have immense love and respect for them. Um, and I owe a lot to the, them in my own journey because they've given me wisdom, perspective and support and prayers. So I thank God for them. Um, 
And sometimes people are just set in their ways. And again, I, my experience, my preference may contain, does contain truth, beauty, and goodness, but it's part of a larger puzzle. So it's seeing beyond me to what God is doing. And that's the challenge. You know, I, I do see within some communities, some are more insular than others. And you just have to, and as a priest, you do what you can to be a father to them. But you also have appropriate boundaries. And like a good father, a good father will let, you know, his children spread their wings when necessary, but also fall on their butts when necessary and learn from that. You know, and I think people are hungry to be formed, not just in head games, but completely formed in love and truth, beauty and goodness, because those are all bridges to Christ, you know? And I think any good father is going to know, and any good Catholic, um, any good father in the sense of the priest, any good Catholic is going to know how to be present to others, to evangelize, help form, but also know how to build relationships and not just be insular. And when there's a lot of betrayal, a lot of backstabbing, a lot of dissonance, there's that tendency to put up your fighting Irish, you know, um, and, and it's understandable. And it's not, it's something that has to be, you know, at least from the priest side, understood and work through slowly and gently, you know, not to just be like, you're wrong, you know? Um, and also, again, we cannot just discount the, the average person in the pew. We had a parish festival at my parish um, to kick off um, month of September. We had a Psalm High Mass and um, we had a German dinner afterwards. We dispensed everybody from meat obligation, by the way. Right? <laughs> and that's something that I could do within my own parish territory as a priest on a Friday. What a modernist. You know? What a modernist. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so it's in canon law. We put that in there. So you could you could dispense. You pastor, your birthday liquor could dispense. But I'm all for the fasting for meat on Friday. But uh, we had about 450 people at this one Psalm High Mass. I was celebrating at that Mass. Um, and two very clo close priest friends were deacon, subdeacon. And we also had a bunch of priests sitting in choir. My pastor wanted this. I didn't give a homily, but the majority of the, of the people at that Mass, this was the first time that they were there. There were some of your typical tradies that I knew from different places, but then there were a lot of new people. It was very, very well received, you know? And, uh, and there was somebody that came up after and said, you know, Father, I just don't get the interest. Like, it doesn't speak to me. And I'm like, no, I get, I get where you're coming from. But this, like, this is going to really evangelize people, you know? This is going to really bring people to faith. I'm like, well, it did for 1962 years. This is what evangelized Latin America, Africa, Asia. This is what the Jesuits used. But I get where you're at, you know? And, you know... I'm not, I'm not apologetic, you know, for who I am as a priest, as a man, as a, as a Catholic, you know, but, um, 
you know, I'm a traditionalist, but I'm a Catholic first. And to be Catholic is to be faithful to tradition, period, end of sentence. But I also realized some people are not where I may be. So I respect them, you know, and I try to find common ground, even though they may not get what I do, you know, and I don't spike the football in their face, but I'm not afraid to give, you know, bear witness to the hope that's in me and what Christ has done to draw me to him Mm -hmm. in my own life. But I'm not blinded by that either. Right. Right. One of the, one of the interesting questions from that, that um, survey was, uh, does it occur to you that in your diocese, the ordinary form has adopted elements of the extraordinary form? Um, do you, do you, do you find as a, as a priest who celebrates both the, the, the new rite and the Latin mass that the traditional Latin mass has informed the way that you, you say the new rite? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, and I think it's a good thing. I think though the old right and the new right, I'm all for cross pollinization, but there's a limit to that. And both forms of the Roman right have their own language. So when I can cross pollinate, I do cross pollinate, but I also, there's a line that you can't cross mm-hmm. and you have to respect the language of both, you know? Um, and I, I think, you know, when I, when I offer mass privately, I always offer it out of random, you know, um, most of the time, 99.8% of the time when I offer private mass, I'll offer a one mass. But by, when I offer, um, you know, occasionally an English mass in private, I'll use Eucharistic prayer one, you know, I'll try to look at what are the traditional propers, you know, that are not only, in the old missile, but also are, are in the new missile as options and use those. I'll also use sometimes some of the newer stuff, depending on what it says, you know? Um, so I, I try to be as proficient in both, you know, as I can, you know? Um, but the old right definitely has informed the way that I say mass in the new right. I'll do the digits, you know? Um, and um, I think it's, yeah. No, um, and I think it's um, it's a good thing, but but again, it's and I'm not afraid to explain myself where when people are like, Father, why do you do X Y Z? You know, like <laughs> you know, and uh, but I think hopefully over time there's more guidance given on where healthy cross pollination could happen. You know. Um, but there's a certain line that as a priest, I can't cross, you know, right. Maybe I would like to cross, but I can't cross, you know, just out of respect for what the church allows. Right. Right. Do you, how would you, how would you see the ordinary form? If you want to call it that, I'm not a huge fan of calling it that, but how would you see that? informing the extraordinary form like do you see anything that that could be significant like not something that maybe can be done right now but maybe over time as as the liturgy um continues to grow organically like do you see any way that can be realized i 
maybe vernacular in some of the readings, but that's already that's already being done in some ways. So like I, I want to respect the language of both rights. I think what the CDF al allowed um, in, a, in the two documents it issued right around the time of the survey is a great start for that, allowing the celebration of recently canonized saints in the old right. So now like a priest has an option following the certain guidelines in that document. There's certain third class feasts on the old calendar that have to be set on their original days. But there's other, and there's certain feasts that must take precedence. But now, and this is awesome, for the vigil of the assumption in the old right, August 14th, you could tack onto that a commemoration of St. Maximilian Kolbe. So it shows the union between St. Maximilian Kolbe and Our Lady, which is an awesome, awesome thing. You could celebrate St. Padre Pio. Even, and I know some trads may not want to celebrate John Paul II, you know, or John the 23rd, you know, um, the parents of St. Therese, um, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, you know, I think those are all great things, you know, and all healthy things, you know, and I think that's one way where the ordinary form can possibly impact the, the extraordinary form, allowing for that, you know, and I, and, and the document said, these are not mandated. These are all options left to the discretion of the celebrant, you know? So even with the extra prefaces, some of which were in the Gallican Missal, some of which are new, um, you know, Options are options, you know. <laughs> Typical <laughs> Novus Ordo having way too many options. Just saying. Yeah, no, and and I and there is a danger sometimes when there's too many options, and we see that sometimes in in the new right. You know, there's so many options. You don't the essentials are lost. Right. You know, um, there's so many exceptions to the norm. Nobody knows the norm, and why the norm is the norm. Yeah. Who, who's, who, who's Norm? I, I don't know who Norm is. <laughs> He's some guy and from Cheers, you know, like the bartender. <laughs> he was a comedian, Norm MacDonald, who no. was on SNL during the 90s. <laughs> it's true, true. That's great. That's great. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's really great. I think, yeah, you you nailed it with that. Like I think there's I mean, in terms of liturgical liturgical stuff like i i think it was dr peter kwavsnevsky that said the you know when it comes to informing the liturgy everything that's really truly captivating about that you see in the novus ordo it's taken from from the traditional rites you know i think he's dead on in saying that you know i i also think he's dead on in saying that there's too much scripture in new right you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that maybe there can't be options or, you know, whatnot, but I think there's a very rationalistic focus in the new right, whereas in the old right, and it, there's also schizophrenia. So like you could be celebrating the, the, um, the Feast of St. Therese of Lisieux and the readings about like San Mora getting smited on the, on the, you know, the, the, the two cycle readings it's just like 
what the heck is going on here? So like something I will do often when I celebrate the ordinary form, I will do the sanctoral cycle readings, you know, to show that the saints concretize by their lives and witness the gospel, the word of God, and that it's all a tight unit. I think, I think there is a certain schizophrenia that can happen that's not good, that causes a, a dangerous disintegration in the liturgy. Options can be good, but not all options are good or are the best, you know? And I'm not saying I, I know everything in saying that. I'm not trying to be cocky or anything like that, or prideful, you know? But I think the church in her wisdom sometimes will allow things, you know, on a level of pastoral prudence for a care of souls, you know, the canons of Utrechtism, um, the Council of Trent states from St. Paul, the church is a steward of the mysteries of God, you know, she could change her rights according to pastoral need as she sees fit. But that doesn't mean every change is a good change or the most prudent change or directly divinely willed from God. So I think, Again, going back to the liturgical reform, yes, there's needed debate that needs to happen, you know, an honest debate, but to just reduce it to, oh, what we had before was so bad, what we have now is so great, or what we had before was so great, what we have now sucks, is not good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, so maybe we can we can um, close out the conversation um, with this. So I had a friend uh, and a listener from our, from our podcast reach out to us in the last couple of weeks. And he said that now that everything is starting to lift and things are, things are starting to change and kind of go back to normal. um, He's, planning on reaching out to his bishop um, and to his local priest and asking for the traditional Latin mass to be said in his parish. Um, how, what advice would you give to a regular lay person um, for how to address that request to their bishop and their priest? Well, first of all, I would say, Go to your priest. Always start at the local level. You know, I think that's the most prudent thing, you know, and I think it's important that you're, you know, respectful, you're honest, you know, you don't try to like steamroll him over with uh, your, your request, but you, you're honest. You're like, father, I love the old, right? Is there any chance we can have it? You know, maybe for a feast day or whatnot. If you know other people that have that interest, maybe try to coordinate with them. Not to, to gang up on the priest, but like, hey, this is not just me. This is a bunch of people, you know? And if the priest isn't open, you respect that. But maybe find another priest, neighbor, neighboring parish that would be open to that, you know? And they're, they're out there, you know? I know some priests who are very holy men who are not fans of the old rite, but I owe a lot to, you know, and I respect them. 
And when that question comes up and they denigrate it, I'm, I put on my 50 cent. Okay. All right. Okay. You're right. You know, like <laughs> not in my head, like, <laughs> you know, like, and, and it's just, I respect them, but we agree to disagree. I don't spike the football in their face, you know, but, and I don't pretend to have all the answers, but like, it's, if you're humble, you're respectful. You're not like, we need this now. We need this now. Why are you still celebrating the new right? It stinks. Like, you don't want to be saying that to your priest, <laughs> like your diocesan priest, you know, like, right. you know, um, I mean, something that I, you know, like, if you do that, I think you will get somewhere. I think any priest, even if they don't know how to celebrate it, will like respect you. There will be some that will just be like, it's Chinese. And even if it's Chinese and they don't like it, you know, and they say no to you, that doesn't make them a bad priest or a bad person per se. Or somebody that does not have supernatural faith. I think it's important to realize that, you know, to see, yes, this is part of me. Christ has led me to him through this, but not be so caught up. This is my way. I really, really want like, like a kid in a candy store, you know, that has had, that was just taken into a candy store the first time, two-year-old. And they just had chocolate. Now they're like, mommy, daddy, I want chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. They only want to eat chocolate. You know, give witness and hope and testimony to why you want this and love and humility. And any priest worth his weight in salt will acknowledge that, but also acknowledge the limitations. You know, mm-hmm. if some people are jerks, you just find somebody who can accommodate you. You know, and you pray for that person. Who's a priest? Awesome. That's that's really good advice. You know, just maybe as a as a side note. So you're you're mentioning our our experience in household at Franciscan, and um, by the way, best household coordinator of life. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> um, but the the interesting thing, right? And you can attest to this because. You saw me in, in at Franciscan, you know, charismatic through and through. And, um, I, you know, I used to get in debates over why I felt the, uh, Novus Ordo in particular, why a life teen mass was more, was more, um, was more spiritually beneficial than the traditional Latin mass, um, at college at Franciscan, like, and, God does incredible things and it um, so, you know, maybe a person who says, no, I'm just, you know, I'm against that now, you know, you don't, you don't understand what God can do behind the scenes. You know what I mean? So the power of prayer is, is, is incredibly great. And I think your witness as well, I mean, not that, you know, there was a lot of, heavy handed, you know, tratty conversation, but you know, I, I know that you would witness to the, the beauty of the Latin mass back then. And, um, yeah. And I think that also intrigued me and opened me at least to be curious about it. So that years later, when I had the opportunity to go, I felt more open to that idea. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's important to, uh, yeah, don't, don't just say, 
you know, ah, uh, like this person will never change and just kind of give up, but always, yeah, yeah. always pray. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, God works in people's ways in different, if, in different periods in their life differently. And what matters is that you bear fruit, you know, and, and the renewal can help people come into union with Christ in one way and then tradition another way, you know, and they're not incompatible. They're not incompatible. You know, um, yes, there's a certain spiritual maturity that has to happen, you know, um, but um, I, again, what are you doing to bring people to the Lord? That's the most important thing. What are you doing to help build relationships with people, not only with yourself, but with him so they can be saved, so that they can find healing, salvation, eternal life, be the person that God made them to be. That's the most important thing. Everything else is secondary to that. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Father Matt, this has been fantastic. Thank you again so much for joining us on today's podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an honor to be with all you guys. So great. So um, if, if people want to find you, how do they find you? Well, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm, I'm also uh, can be found on, um, I'm at St. Mary's uh, church in Washingtonville, New York. So um, if you Google my parish, St. Mary's church, Washingtonville, New York, um, you can also find the parish contact info. We also have a parish Facebook page. You know, um, I also have my own YouTube channel where I've been posting masses and reflections during this whole entire coronavirus quarantine. So, um, yeah, so I'm out there. Awesome. Great. Um, before we go, Mike and Brooke, did you have any, any other comments or questions or whatnot? I did have one question I was kind of hanging on to, but <laughs> I don't know if I want to. Like, do you want to launch into another discussion? Or... <laughs> there he goes. Father, Father Matt is ready with these rapid fire questions. <laughs> Father Matt, do you have time for um, one last question? Sure. Yeah, okay. absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. One thing we often talk about is um, how the idea of um, the Latin mass or the old rite as a preference and how often you'll hear from people that uh, you can't say one form of the mass is better than the other because they're both the mass and it's just purely a preference. And we've argued against that saying that certain things about these forms of the mass can be superior in certain ways and we can think of that objectively. Um, do you think that, like, A, is that true? And B, is there any value in thinking like that? Because, I mean, I know even if it's the case that certain things, um, the old right were superior, say, you still have to respect where a certain person is at, right? Um, so I noticed you use that term, which is what made me think about our, our discussions on that liturgical preferences. Yeah. What I, what I think you could say is this, I think the Martin Mosbach position, heresy of formlessness is very, very accurate. I'm very, 
I'm very sympathetic towards that. The new mass is valid, but it can be dangerous, you know. Um, but you can't say it's intrinsically sinful. You can't say it's <laughs> evil, you know. Um, to, I mean, to do that, you fall into the, like, seat of a contest, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I do yeah. think you can make arguments, legitimate theological arguments, um, for the superior of one form or, or, or another, you know. To just say, oh, there's blanket medieval accretions in the old right, we need to get rid of that. That's dicey. <laughs> that's dicey, you know, and I think that's presumptuous on our end. I'm not saying the liturgy can't be reformed and changed, you know, but it's having that good stewardship. I think, like, if you look at the old right of baptism, and I actually wrote a paper on this for sacramental theology when I was in seminary comparing the old rite, the exorcism prayers of the old rite of baptism to the new rite, baptism. And I got an A and the professor was like, if you gave this to me in a doctoral class, I would have failed you. But you, but, uh, but you <laughs> made a um, great essay and it's suitable for the purposes of the class and you really address a yellow elephant in the room that has not been addressed. You know, In the old rite of baptism, there's numerous prayers that say exorcism exortizo te, you know, imperative commands. Whereas the exorcism prayer in the new rite of baptism is theologically deficient. Also, you look at the book of blessings. You really don't, like, it's, it, yes, it's permitted by the church, you know. Yes, does it bless? Yeah, yes. But you could say that theology of blessing the book of blessings is very deficient especially when you see it, like when it comes to like holy water, you know, that's why mm-hmm. I, I normally bless in this past year for the feast of the epiphany, even though we don't offer the old mass every Sunday. Um, my pastor is like, Hey, can you bless our holy water supply for the entire year? So I blessed it using the epiphany, holy water blessing. I bless like 40 gallons of it, you know? <laughs> um, and that takes 45 minutes to do. And it includes the, the prayers of blessings for holy order in the old rite, but it includes other powerful exorcism prayers. And I've used that in certain situations as a priest and I've seen its efficacy, let's just say. Um, and my pastor at the time, now I was with him when I was not with him early on, my priesthood in those situations. And we uh, saw the efficacy of that epiphany order in action. So, uh, so like, you can make a legitimate argument. I don't think it's uncharitable, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, What you could say is like, you know, yes, the church cannot fail on her mission, can't fail to bring about the saving graces of Christ in the world. But that doesn't mean every liturgical change is good. That doesn't mean Mm -hmm. every, every liturgical option is good or theologically sound or prudent, you know, uh, or the best. I think, again, it's important not to not to be prideful, but it's also important not to fall into this this positive positivistic quietistic aspect um, notion of oh what our age has is the best in the past and, I, and you know I think that's condescending and that's actually a violation of the sin of the fourth commandment. Um, but we also have to be respectful of our current superiors and, you know, of our current age, our current spiritual fathers, you know, even if we disagree with them, 
you know, disagreement does not mean disobedience, you know, obedience like faith seeks to understand, you know, Ratzinger was very critical of the new right reforms, you know, in many books, Feast of Faith, Sing a New Song to the Lord, Spirit of Liturgy. And he noticed that and he, and he, and he spoke, he uses an analogy in Spirit of Liturgy that I've always found powerful. And that was a big book uh, that I read in college that had a big and lasting impact on me. So before the council, the liturgy was a lot like a painting. Its colors intrigued us. We didn't know what it was about. We wanted to enter into the painting to understand it. But we enter into it in such a way that now we almost risk destroying it, whitewashing it completely. You know, talking about liturgical reforms. And Pope Benedict, as Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, has a lot of insight. Just be like, you know, obedience is never blind. It always seeks to understand, you know, and one could be obedient and respectfully disagree with somebody on a theological liturgical level. And to, to have a difference of opinion on that doesn't mean you're contrary to the faith, you know, as long as it's not a matter of the creed, you know, and this is where, you know, there's, there's a line between tradition, you know, the traditionalist movement and the seat of the contests, you know, the seat of a contest are essentially neo-Protestant, you know, because they, it gets messy, you know, even though there's legitimate theological problems with the new right, you can't say it doesn't get you to heaven, even though it may do that in a deficient way. There were, there were certain things that happened in the church's liturgical life leading up to Trent that Pius V had to correct. And that's why he codified, you know, at Trent and said, yes, there are some older rites than the current edition of this missile I'm putting out. They can, they can exist, like the Ambrosian rite, Mozarabic rite, rite of Braga, rite of Lyon, um, Dominican rite, Carmelite rite. But anything new is banned. You know, and he had to do that to correct, mm-hmm. you know, certain things. So I, there was a conference had in the Diocese of Phoenix, maybe 10, 12 years ago, um, about the liturgical reforms. And personally, I'm sympathetic to the view, and this is my personal opinion. I don't, you know, you can disagree with me on this. I think most of the Council Fathers intended the liturgical reform to go the way of the 64, the 67 missile. Mm-hmm. They did not expect it to go as far as it did. So an abbreviated form of the old mass that had some Latin, had some vernacular. But then Bunini came in, you know, <laughs> and Bunini was not a good man. You know, he was not a good man. That doesn't mean, you know, churches cut off from the fountain of grace, from, you know, because of Bunini, you know, um, but, because, but he was, Bunini is a very controversial figure and, and you know, it's it's bad, you know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We've talked a lot about Bunini on the podcast. <laughs> Louis Bouet, um, no, no, the Yves Chiron biography on Bunini is, is excellent, it's fair, balanced. Louis Bouet talking about how he had to redeem Eucharistic prayer too, 
you know, at a, on a napkin in Trastevere, you know, at the request of Cardinal Ottaviani, you know, and how Bunini manipulated liturgical reforms. Bunini really didn't come onto the scene, even though he was involved with some of the Holy Week reforms under Pius XII, he didn't really come into major influence until the pontificate of Paul VI, you know. Um, and he had shady dealings, and Bouillet said, we were recommending one thing, and Bunini was saying the exact opposite thing. And Bouillet went up to Paul VI and said, Holy Father, quit, I don't want to be on the liturgical commission anymore to reform the liturgy. He's like, wow, you're doing so, so great work. You know, Archbishop Bunini is telling me all about this. And Bouillet said, no, no, he isn't. He's giving you his own agenda. He's not sharing with you, you know, our recommendations. So Bunini is a controversial figure. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Does that answer your question, Mike? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. So we'll close off the, the podcast here. Yeah. So again, Father Matt, Thank you so, so much for joining us. This has been an absolute honor. Thank you very much. Uh, would you like me to close with a prayer? That would be fantastic, actually. That'd be so good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. The name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. God, our Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you sustain us in your life and love. Help us to grow in your love. Help us to be faithful Catholics not only according to our own desires and wills, but according to your will, according to your great love for us and your love for your bride, the church and souls. And this we ask through the intercession of the Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Awesome. Thanks again so much. That's great. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Well, guys, now it's just just the three of us. We can make you and I and I. <laughs> I've been wanting to do a cover of uh, "Take on Me" by Aha, but call it "Quarantine." Six feet away. Cuff into your elbow. That's okay. <laughs> Stay home all day. I'd listen to it. The stores are closed. Something, something. <laughs> Needs work, but yeah. I'd listen to it. EP will be released sometime after I die and someone <laughs> finds it. <laughs> the uh, devil's advocate will find it. I'm sure. <laughs> and we can't canonize this woman <laughs> uh, too funny too funny all right well guys so this is the end of episode 58 we're going into episode 59 next week and then our final episode of season two in two weeks mm -hmm. and it's going to be it's going to be a great one also just a quick update the great shave campaign Help us get to 700 Instagram followers and y'all can shave my beard in whatever fashion you want. So share us with your friends and uh, yeah, let's, let's 
see a beard massacre, shall we? Yeah, let's. And uh, a Chris hair dye. Don't do it. Honey, if, if, if we get to 800, your beard is going too. I'm fine with it. I am willing to sacrifice for the followers. <laughs> this That sounds really pagan. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, but it's only you guys for the, know what I mean. It's only for the Catholic followers, though. If you were sacrificing for the pagan followers, it'd be a little bit different. That's only allowed for coronavirus, right? <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Sorry, dark humor. <laughs> um, speaking of our last episode, um, did we talk about the topic of that on the podcast yet? Not yet, no. Because I wanted to talk about how Father Matt kind of alluded to the topic. Yes, yes. Maybe we can, maybe we'll just leave it as a hint for now mm-hmm. and talk about that next week. But Ooh. in the meantime, if you're listening to this, next week is going to be our Catching Foxes ripoff episode where we're going to be doing 10 minute topics. So make sure you hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Theology of the Buddy and send us your questions that you would like us to talk about in our 10 minute topic segments. Um, We've already got some already lined up from some friends and uh, we're going to be bringing in some special guests to answer some of those questions because we're not experts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, so, but yeah, Make sure you send those questions into us. We'll be I'll be posting it in our stories every day starting the day this releases. Or no, the day after the, this releases. So yeah. Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. So anyways, guys, thanks again for hanging. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So again, like I said, follow us. On social media, we'd love to get to know you. And if you follow us, share us with your friends so that we can get to that 700 follower mark before January or June 17th. And then I'll shave my beard just for you. Um, and you get to choose the style. So make it happen. You can also email us at theologythebuddy at gmail.com for the record with the questions if you're uh, not a fan of the social medias and please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, YouTube. Just look up theology of the buddy and hit that subscribe button. And if you would be so inclined, we'd love a review. We would really love a review. Um, If you leave a review, we will shout you out on the podcast either next week or in the following final episode podcast so uh, make sure that you do that and it'll help us out big time so anyway that's it that's it for us so from all of us to all of you stay Stay tratty. tratty